Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, opening for uh, episode number 145, and joining me, as usual, during the week is Eno Sears, fresh off the disabled list after the uh, glorious All-Star break. Eno, how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm, I had uh, eight and a half hours of sober sleep on a bed last night, which I have not done for eight, nine, ten days or something like that, so I, I feel... A little rejuvenated and a little bit like I need to do that for another eight, nine, ten days. <laughs> That's what the doctor orders uh, for the kind of ailments that you have. Well, and it's very encouraging and exciting because that means that your analysis is only going to be even better than usual. Or uh, Also, I'm on my home setup, so hopefully we'll avoid all that uh, road noise uh, that we encountered in the last episode. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's going to please some folks. And uh, yeah, we can. I think we continue to make strides with the uh, the technicals as far as uh, things like that go. So uh, it, it, again, always if anybody notices some things, uh, pointers, etc., please point them out to us, and we will try to clean clean up anything you happen to notice that we don't catch. And, uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the world of baseball that affects what the the hobby we call fantasy baseball, uh, beginning with the the trade front, uh, because just went down today that uh, Chase Hudley, Chase did I say Hudley? Chase Headley <laughs> went to the New York Yankees today, uh, finalized deal, uh, and I mean uh, I, I can appreciate when Jan Hervis Salarte has done this season, but uh, and I don't know a whole lot about Rafael De Paula, I will say that, but. Uh, all things considered, I think that seems to be kind of a win for the Yankees. Um, it, it, and uh, I, I, I think fantasy owners can pretty much say that they have to like the move for Headley regardless. Uh, I mean, it's it's a great landing spot for him, especially because he tends to be a guy who's featured some power from the left-handed side especially. Uh, but uh, anything beyond the obvious upgrade simply because of the home park. No, but I mean... I think that uh, it's worth sort of citing his road, uh, his road numbers because he has he's something like a. I looked him up earlier today. Something like a 285, 286 hitter, uh, with like a 160 ISO away from home for his career, and that includes years where I mean, one year he hit four home runs, not a full full complete year, but in a full year he had, he hit 11 home runs once. So, you know, his overall numbers don't look so good. But he was always better on the road. And a guy with like a 160 ISO, uh, I think, could hit, you know, 15 to 20 homers. And um, and that's that's sort of – that's just summing up his road numbers, which is played, you know, in general in a neutral park. So, you know, if, if you turn him into a guy who hits 15 or so homers on the road um, in a neutral park and then you give him a boost at home – uh, I think you've got a guy who I would assess right now, true talent going forward. You know, there was some aging in there. I mean, he's he's 30 now. Um, I'd say he's probably a 275 hitter with 20-plus uh, home run power and, and a couple of steals, uh, a couple of steals uh, thrown in now that he's he's got that new home park and he's also, uh, you know, going to be on the road as a, as a, with above-average power. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm liking that and uh... – 
something we've mentioned previously, uh, just as a kind of a newsy note to say, hey, let's keep this in mind. Maybe this will continue, this will mean positive things for him. Was the swing change? He went back to kind of an old style grip or something on the bat, and um, uh, results. I think so far, uh, based simply on that news, you'd have to say they're encouraging. Hey, since the All Star break, uh, he's hit three hundred eight. Oh, that's only thirteen plate appearances. I guess that doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but seriously, but in, um, but in July, and I think that's about probably about the time that he kind of made this switch was the beginning of that month. Three twenty three, three twenty three, uh, four sixty two slash. So clearly, he doesn't like to walk now that he's changed the grip on the bat. Uh, but uh, well, there was a. Uh, but the ice was a, picked up a bit. So. Disabled stint, right? He came off the disabled list around that time too. So yeah, that's also true. It's so maybe for a calf strain or one of the other sixteen little things he's kind of been dinged up with this season, and it's kind of par for the course for Headley. So overall, that's not necessarily going to change, right? Right. But, uh, <laughs> it is. I mean, Yankees uh, third best stadium for for power from the left side. So and and then second best is the Orioles. So yeah, he's doing pretty good. Uh, and then then. Blue Jays are above average too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of uh, the parks he'll play in, um, they'll be mostly above average. The Red Sox, for some reason, stifle some of that power. I guess there's some crazy things going on in center field there. Yeah, it's very spacious um, center field, yeah. and it's tough uh, even to like the right-handed power alley down the line is a different story. But right, I know that the power alley is quite deep, and uh, but I mean Fenway Park is just it's in general beneficial for batting average. Uh, probably thanks right. in large part uh, because of the deep center field and because of uh, the Green Monster. But just getting out of the Giants and Padres, the two worst parks, yes, uh, in in baseball for lefties. I mean, the park factor for home runs for for a lefty in San Diego is 81, <laughs> and from 81 to 113. So it's about as extreme as uh, as you can get. I mean, he could have gone to the Rockies maybe, but. Um, they're not buyers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think overall, I, I, as a, as an owner of Headley in fifteen team mixed league uh, mixed towel wars, I'm, um, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I hope I win now because of that move alone. It also means terrible, terrible things for young Garvis Solarte. It does. It does. Uh, I think. I hope I said. It felt pretty. <laughs> I think we call that one close enough. So, uh, and, uh, so, I mean, the question becomes also, is there anything that we should note going forward from this Rafael De Paula guy? Is this a player of note? Do you, are you familiar with, with him at all? Other than what I see on his player page, which I would get into in a moment. Yeah. I don't know much about him. Um, I, mean, I didn't know that, uh, you know, he, let's see what he's, he's not even listed, um, in, uh, in the top, in Hewlett's top 15s. Right. So that says, I mean, you know, he he tends to be pretty thorough. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously the stri- the big strikeout numbers they they seem to be pretty exciting, but uh, has had some occasional control and San problems. Diego. Yeah, and San yeah, Diego, <laughs> San Diego is exciting. As well. Yeah, right. But you know, he's twenty three in high A. Um, it's not old, but it's not young, and he's pretty far away. So. I think it's just a name that you sort of uh, put on the back burner. Maybe he'll see. Maybe I, I, I doubt they would acquire him and then throw him into Double A. So I think he'll go back into High A and then maybe um, they'll uh, 
they'll they'll you know bump them up to double A at the end of the year just to see what'll happen. Okay, and, and uh, just some um, some scouting info I picked up for um, is just that I mean apparently he does have a pretty pretty good fastball velocity and that may be what's accounting for the strikeouts. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, I know very little about him. Uh, but has a, a fairly highly rated fastball. Moving to uh, the rest of this is basically some rumors, but it starts with a pretty exciting fancy player in Alex Rios, and Toronto is the latest team to be interested in him. Casey, Seattle also obviously kind of uh, at the at, that's at the other end of places we'd like to see him land, but uh, Toronto also kind of kind of interesting since he uh, was there only four or five years ago. Uh, but uh, I, I mean. I, Obviously, he's a good player no matter where he goes. Uh, you have to take some of the home run power away if he goes to a KC or Seattle, or uh, the home run production, I would say. But, uh, I mean, he's actually been kind of more <coughs> uh, more prone to run, I guess, uh, lately So for some reason now that he's uh, well into his 30s. Yeah, it was weird. I, I asked him about, uh, about that in an interview, and uh, especially about uh, – you know, stealing a career high of bases and, you know, in his, uh, what is that? His 32nd year on this planet. And, um, you know, he's just said, you know, I thought that could be part of my repertoire and it turned out it could. And so I'm going to push it. And he's right there at this sort of break even point for a success rate. <clears throat> I don't think that, uh, anyone's going to really necessarily tell him to stop. Um, he does have, you know, some potential batting average and balls and play regression with, you know, three three five nine Babbitt, um, and you know, I, for what it's worth, I don't trust that necessarily his power is going to regress that much towards his career average, because at thirty three, he's way beyond his power peak. He was in the best park that he could have been in for power, and or one of the best. And um, one thirty three ISO is not that far from his one sixty two career ISO. So, you know, in terms of the power output, the rest of the way. And if you look at his home run for fly ball numbers for his career, they've oscillated a lot. I mean, he's he's gone up and down from year to year, from seven percent to twelve percent, thirteen percent. You know, that's uh, that's a pretty big range, I think, for year to year power uh, surges and drops. So, you know, I, I think you know he may he may have to get lucky to crack uh, ten homers this year. Yeah, that's true, and um, perhaps uh, a little bit more ominous than that is that the, the fly ball rate has dipped in the last two seasons from kind of a steady 38 through 40 percent to uh, 33 to 35 in the last two years so uh, the combination yeah, this of this is something this is something that people don't know that much about but um, apparently when you do, when they did the aging curves um, on hitters uh, you you start with like sort of a like ground ball heavy not just in terms of your true talent right whatever your true talent ground ball rate is you start below that uh, you know, hitting more grounders than that, and then you sort of uh, get to your peak, and then at the end of your career, you start hitting more grounders again. So, um, you know, that's the that's a sort of bell curvy type thing that you actually do see um, in Rios's numbers himself. I mean, he went um, he went from a crazy uh, you know two and a half, one and a half ground balls per fly ball in his first couple of years, and then whittled that down to about one to one. And now he's he's doing what you're saying, hitting more ground balls uh, for every fly ball again. Um, so I think that's actually a bell curve thing, and it's it's something you can totally believe in. It's it's uh, it's how I think older players lose power; they just start hitting the ground more often. Yeah, and, and um, so 
it sounds like uh, I mean power is just it's become a less dependable skill for Rios, uh, but still a quality fantasy player. Um, but uh, I think I mean he was kind of a I would say what a top seventy five pick or higher in a lot of leagues this uh, this past this past uh, spring slash winter and uh, seems to be that that will be taking a tumble in future years or at least should a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was funny is that he might not fall too far just given the dearth of offense and how bad batting averages have been and the fact that his is good. True. He might not fall too far out of the top 100 when we look backwards, but you know we also know how badly stolen bases age. So I wouldn't really want to depend on a 33-year-old that just hit you know whatever he ends up hitting 280, 290, no, probably 290, 300. You know, to have a guy that. Even though he hit that to to hit nine or ten homers and steal twenty five thirty bases, that doesn't seem like I want that guy to be like twenty four. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't I, want that guy to be thirty. As you mentioned, because of the success, I mean, the success rate has kind of been on the decline at least this season. I mean, we've seen another year from him uh, in two thousand ten. He stole thirty four and was caught fourteen times. But for the most part, I mean, has really had a. Uh, quite some success at keeping the caught stealing number uh, in single digits. Uh, but this year, the percentage is uh, much more weighted. I mean, he's basically a 67% base stealer this year and uh, could be a fluke, but you're much, I would think you're much likelier to believe that it's a potential warning sign of the way his speed is aging, uh, given that he's 33 as opposed to when he was 28. So I, I think, um, he, you know, if he ends up somewhere else, uh, because especially like after this season, I think the contract uh, he's on has an option. Yeah, his next year is an option year. Certainly seems likely that the team is going to pick it up now that he's been a consistent performer for the past season and a half. I mean, he's still a reliable bat, and like you said, in an age when offense is declining. But uh, at the same time, um, uh, you know, I, I I can't help but wonder if you know if a team will. We'll ask him to stop running. It might be harder to ask him to stop running uh, next season when he's definitely due for maybe his last chance at a big payday. But after that, he may not care, and uh, his team may say, "Look, uh, hey, it's time to stop running. You suck at this." So, <laughs> uh, it's just some things to keep in mind down the road potentially. But um, I mean, he's ultimately. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, Texas's offense has obviously. It's obviously disappointed a bit this year, so it's uh, other than the the home uh, the home environment is not necessarily a big positive for Rios. As far as uh, AJ Burnett is concerned, somebody we talked about a little bit on Sunday, but uh, a reunion with Pittsburgh. I mean, it sounds like a good possibility. And in the end, they still have to come to agreement uh, on what good, uh, what compensation uh, should look like uh, for, as far as the Pirates and Phillies are concerned for Burnett services. But, um, I mean, to, we, we talked a little bit about it from the perspective of we, it's hard not to think that um, the, the hernia that he was diagnosed with early uh, in the season or just prior to the season, how that may not be having – that has to be having some effect on his control, which has really jumped this season. Uh, and he's – I mean, it's, it's been a problem throughout the year. He's, it seems to be where he can go a couple of starts at most uh, without walking six guys. Um, and, and I think the only – Thing that really would kind of give me some hope for positive regression uh, for Burnett would be a reunion with the Pirates because maybe there's something mechanical that they can do. They, they're they're intimately familiar with him at this point, and maybe they know something uh, that could really help him out. But otherwise, I'd be uh, 
is a player that I said that I think, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to drop him in a 12-team mixed league unless a trade to a trade and specifically to the Pirates uh, it comes about. Yeah, his, his velocity has dropped, and I, I think that uh, Hernia has definitely had something to do with it. He's down to maybe, um, you know, looking at Brooks, looks like he's down to about, uh, you know, 92, 93 on any given day um, this year when he was definitely 93, 94 last year. Um, and uh, just in the last couple of starts, it's been even worse. I mean, at Atlanta... Uh, he averaged 91 and a half on his fastball, and uh, at St. Louis last month it was 90, 90 and a half. So <clears throat> he's definitely uh, on his way out. I mean, he's uh, you know 37 years old, relied on fastball velocity for a lot of what he did. You know, he didn't have good natural control most of his career, um, and you know his walk rate this year is actually you know not too far from his career walk rate. So. He's really deserved in terms of peripherals, you know, traditional peripherals, in terms of strikeouts and walks and homers and ground balls. He's pretty much deserved exactly what he's gotten this year. Um, and, uh, you know, swing strike rate doesn't, you know, offer a lot of hope for, for um, different outcomes. But uh, if the Pirates think he could be like a decent, you know, number five, and, and then maybe he would transition pretty decently to the bullpen um, if they make the postseason. Um I have no problem with them, you know, maybe picking him up, but you know, I don't think he's a great uh he's a great pickup for mixed leaguers at all. Yeah, that sounds uh quite ominous and uh, I mean, boy, that's <laughs> uh I I mean, I think it, it, at this point maybe you start what I mean, the Yankees have talked about they've they've actually talked to the White Sox about John Danks and, and their um infinite wisdom and and a, a desire to cling to a playoff possibility. And uh, I mean, you, know, you could make the argument that Danks is just as good an acquisition as Burnett uh, at this point, uh, kind of in a vacuum, or at least based on the numbers. There, there's really no difference. And, and Danks was bombed in his last start, uh, but it, I mean, the peripheral numbers, at least, though they're not they're not as encouraging as Burnett's. But uh, overall, I mean, the results have been well. Actually, you know, considering yeah, considering the no, but even considering the run environment, I mean, their swing strike rates are pretty similar. Uh, Burnett's striking out, you know, maybe a couple more or batter more per inning, but um, Danks is in the heart of the league. Um, you know, Danks is in an extreme home run park, and you know, uh, Burnett isn't. I guess Danks doesn't offer as many ground balls, but maybe the Yankees think uh, as a lefty. The one thing that's funny though is that he's not your traditional lefty. Um, since he throws the changeup so much, and his changeup has a reverse platoon split. There are a lot of people who stack the box with righties against John Danks. Mm-hmm. I mean, with lefties against John Danks because the changeup um, uh, goes away from the, you know, uh, am I getting that right? Yeah, it goes. the changeup goes in on lefties from Danks. And he hasn't really um, shown a great breaking ball. So um, it'd be funny if the Yankees picked him up thinking, oh, we'll neutralize that home run part, porch in left field. Uh, and then other teams started stacking lefties against <laughs> uh, John Danks come out uh, to that exact place. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for John Danks. I, I enjoy his changeup. It's a very interesting pitcher, uh, but I would not trade for him. Um, I don't think that the Yankees have a great shot at the postseason. And you know, so far they've done a good job, and not in, in sort of real life uh, sense. They haven't really given up anything that I think that they needed to hold on to. So Larte might have been an interesting sort of utility player for them. 
but I don't think he sort of I don't think he really profiled as a as a first division starter as a as a guy that you know would be on the Yankees when the Yankees were winning you know mm-hmm. as other than anything other than a utility player and I think they probably felt we can go get a utility player you know but we need a somebody more like Headley at third base yeah Danks to me I could almost see them just you know maybe Shane Green could do about the same you know I don't I don't think that uh, Danks represents a real um, upgrade yeah I think I mean I don't. I don't uh, care for Danks myself, but it's interesting you brought up the platoon split thing. Um, he's actually thrown uh, – I mean, he's he used to throw the changeup well for the last several years. He was throwing the changeup about 20% of the time until in the last couple he's thrown it now about 30% of the time. But I think this year especially, and I don't know if it's just kind of a, a fluky, relatively speaking, sample size thing, but uh, left-handed hitters have actually – I was I was kind of aware of that that platoon the, the platoon split thing, but uh, this year they've actually done worse against him, and I'm not sure of the exact reason. I was trying to find a reason for that. I think it's it's kind of interesting, um, just for the sake of kind of knowing that that it's a little different. Um, uh, w- huh. w- uh, it, it just in terms of the results. I mean the ice. I think the ISO is a bit down. The batting average is down. Like actually, right-handed hitters are hitting him better. Uh, this year, about 20, 20, 20, 20 to 25 points better. Um, Interesting. And for his career, the, the lefties have a better wobble than righties. Right. That's a that's a pretty decent sample, 1,400 batters face. Yeah, I mean, I would still I would still lean toward – I mean, there's there's probably some, um, some correction. I would lean toward thinking that there's some correction uh, due in that those splits more so than there is just uh, – that he's doing something different because I don't see anything different as far as his pitch mix or anything like that goes. Well, it's one of the lesser walk rates of his career. Maybe he's um, just sort of throwing it further from the heart of the plate for lefties. Okay. Well, regardless, John Danks is not a pitcher we want. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, some other, some other interesting, uh, this is interesting perhaps only to those in um, very deep mixed leagues, rail-only leagues, um, or A's fans, at least for now. But uh, Tommy Malone has asked to be traded, and I guess that's probably in part because he kind of got screwed when they added Jeff Samarja and, uh, or at least in his mind, uh, Jason Hamill. But, um, I mean, you got to think that Malone is a guy who has fared a lot better at O.co than he has in a lot of other places. It seems to be a little misguided, I would I would say. Um Hey, who knows? Another guy could hurt, get hurt. Especially, you know, we know that Hamill's a good poss- is always a possibility to get hurt again. <laughs> I, I would be tempted to stick around and see what happens. It's kind of an interesting uh, uh, demand, I think, especially coming from a guy of Malone's quote unquote stature. Right, right. Uh, maybe uh, stick around and get a ring, dude. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, if this guy has homer problems and he pitches in one of the most one of the parks that suppresses homers the most. So, I uh, I don't think that uh, an, an AL team would necessarily want. I mean, uh, I couldn't imagine where he would end up in the AL that would uh, be a better situation for him. Mm-hmm. But I guess you know I you know the Angels have shown um, the uh, willingness to take a shot on a guy like Malone. He's he's not completely unlike Vargas um, in that he's a lefty with decent command, um, throws a good changeup, uh, doesn't have a great fastball. Vargas's fastball is better um, and has had homer issues in the past. So, you know, it fits a profile of somebody like the Mariners or Angels might like, but are the Athletics really going to give Tommy Malone to the 
Mariners and you know athletic and the uh, or the Angels right now. Probably. Not. I know that people <laughs> say that that sort of analysis is overrated, but I just don't think that they're gonna you know help someone who's chasing them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can't help but uh, agree with that. I think it's just uh, it's an interesting thing. I'd like to see if that actually if it if it results in anything. Maybe Billy Bean just kind of chuckled uh, when he when <laughs> Malone right. presented that to him. Also, you don't necessarily help your chances of being traded when you make a public trade demand. In yeah. fact, you probably make it harder for your GM to to uh, to trade you. Yeah, that's true, especially when you're Tommy Malone. <laughs> um, Steve Ciszek, on the other hand, and we, we can shift to re- relievers. Uh, he's been a popular target, and we talked about this possibility before. And now Miami may be coming, to, kind of coming to. Uh, the realization that they're not a legitimate contender for the postseason. And I think that's something like, you know, we talk about the Yankees and I guess, it, it, I guess what is the value of making the playoffs um, alone? I'm not really sure. I'm sure that you guys have done uh, somewhere or Fangrass have done some extensive analysis uh, just thinking of this, but um, the value of a playoff spot. And I think now that it now that it can really result in only one game, if you just squeak in um, and you know, the one game is the max. I mean, um, is is there really a reason to hang on to that sliver of hope? I guess I mean if you can't win it all. I mean, I, to me, it's like if I can't win it all in fantasy, I'm looking toward the next season. But I guess it's I mean it's different for major league teams because some teams want to make the playoffs, and you're talking about a huge difference. Uh, well, not a huge difference, but a significant difference in terms of revenue. Uh, but. Um, Miami. There's, there's, there's definitely an effect that goes beyond just the one game of revenue because um, the thing that sort of keeps fans coming to the park is winning, and and winning is often defined in their eyes as um, you know making the postseason. So I think it's worth you know a sort of nominal effort, um, and I think that's kind of what I would describe what the Yankees are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, getting McCarthy and Headley didn't really cost them um, anything that that will really affect their bottom line going forward. It's kind of also what you've seen the pirates do in the past, um, getting smaller pieces that will make their team better on the edges and help their chances and deepen their, their squad and stuff like that. But without, you know, giving up a Polanco or, or a Will Myers, uh, for example. That's true. Um, so I, I think that it's worth doing a little move. And if, if you can get Steve Sishek for a little, a little piece or, uh, you know, then that's good. But, you know, I sort of I've said this before, and I sort of just doubt um, most of the the reliever trades. And I know that yes, there was one, uh, but the Angels paid, you know, uh, going right. I don't think that they got um, Houston Street for cheap. And um, you know, if the, if the Marlins say they want more uh, than Houston Street for Steve Sishek, um, you know, then. He may not get traded, but um, well, we uh, we talked yeah. about we talked about too before that. Uh, I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's probably not going to help any of these teams' positions by 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 virtue of the fact that there are if there are a number of teams interested because we've already talked about the fact that Miami seems to place a great deal of value on relievers because they traded a compensation pick to Pittsburgh just to get Brian Morris. Right. They seem to be, and, and Cishek has certainly earned his weight or you know has earned his money. In terms of being a closer, and I mean, it's I think it, it is. I, I guess it's it's probably it's probably hard to say exactly how Miami views 
the impact of the save and, and its value, but uh, there doesn't seem to be a reason to think that it's it's not it's not at least a little more valuable to them than it uh, than it is for a non closer reliever and that I mean that seems to be I mean that that could seem to be a potential roadblock to a Cishic trade. Um, but uh, I mean, it does bring up at least a question. I assume also then of who, you know who do you speculate on as far as saves go. But I, I like if I'm if I'm targeting a potential reliever for saves after a trade, which we talked about, like it just in the end, it's probably not a fruitful thing. You you really shouldn't look to stockpile any of these guys, but maybe take a shot on one or two or something at most. It's it, depending on. Yeah, I mean, I do I do think that it's fairly obvious. I mean, to me, it's one of the stronger uh, situations where I kind of know who number two is. Mm-hmm. I feel it's it's pretty clearly Brian Morris. Yeah, uh, he doesn't necessarily have the the gaudiest strikeout rate behind um, Sishek, but Ramos really took a step behind in terms of his command this year. Um, Morris gets a lot of ground balls, seem really really safe, and is the only guy with a hold in the last in the last two weeks. So um, he's the guy that they're using in, in tight games. I like that. Another guy that I think is right behind someone that could get traded and I think is is sort of a strong number two and, and, and uh, is a pickup for to, to an extent is Ken Giles in uh, Philadelphia. And and for what it's worth, uh, Pavelman sort of, you know, torched the, the ground there and sort of, you know, said something about why wouldn't you want to get traded a contender? And then when they asked him to, about, to, to sort of talk some more about that, he – he said, you know, he dug himself deeper by wondering why other people on the team wouldn't want to be traded. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, Pavlon costs more. You own him for a little bit longer. Pavlon probably has a little bit more cachet. Uh, Pavlon still has a little bit more velocity than Sishek, but Sishek has the better rates right now. Uh, has been very steady for a couple of years. So in terms of who you want, in terms of talent, you know, I think you could argue either way. Um, you know, so money makes maybe Papelbon less likely to get traded, but his mouth makes him more likely to get traded. So <laughs> very hard to guess which is which. I think Morris and Giles are the best pickups if you want to get ahead of people. You may end up, you know, not getting a closer out of either of those guys. I think that's that was sort of your larger point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's... That's a great segue, and, and uh, yeah, I, I you know I like those two players. I mean, if you're, I guess if you're, you know, if you're looking for um, the tiebreaker between the two, I mean, Giles's numbers in terms of strikeouts, especially, are just that much better. And so maybe you say, well, I hope it's him <laughs> more so, right. more so than I hope it's Morris. Um, if saves aren't the only thing you're really concerned about, uh, uh, and again, just purely from a you know kind of the, the tiebreaker standpoint and wanting the little more strikeouts and and. You're speaking of Pavel Bond, it's Detroit, Detroit specifically. Now, uh, Joe Nathan, he, he was blown up <clears throat> on Saturday, uh, but has gone six of his last seven appearances without giving up a run. Uh, but Detroit, at the same time, they seem pretty, pretty determined, I think, based on the rumor mill, at least, uh, to add a reliever. And I, you can't blame them, even if it's not for the sake of replacing Nathan that the bullpen needs some shoring up. That's clearly probably the biggest weakness on that team. Um, and rumors of, of amazing that, that buying one really old reliever <laughs> uh, didn't fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, boy, Detroit sure has. Uh, they can't be but anything but disappointed. Now, obviously, um, the the loss of uh, I, 
the fellow, the young fellow who's kind of the, the heir apparent to the closer job, uh, to Tommy John surgery. I th- I was, obviously that wasn't something they anticipated, but, uh, they've gone a long time without really attempting to make up for that too well, too much. But, uh, they've been rumored to be after Brad Ziegler, Antonio Bastardo, also in the Phillies. Uh, and then of course, Pavel Bond, Joaquin Soria and Joaquin Benoit, who they have obviously a previous history with, um, uh, do you still view? I mean, does it depend? Obviously, if if say a Ziegler or a Bastardo goes to Detroit, uh, you don't consider either of those guys really a, an immediate threat, or even really close to an immediate threat to take over Nathan's role, uh, and he would have to really suck it up for a good stretch again, I would think, too, uh, to relinquish uh, kind of you know committee duties or something like that to someone else. But uh, I mean, if a Pavelbon or a Soria goes there, clearly the, the situation changes. And, and a Benoit as well. Um, do, which, the, which way do you the see them going? The way that they're talking about it, um, you know, you know, keeping their tabs on and, you know, they didn't and, and like preferring maybe a guy who didn't see himself as a closer, you know, not necessarily wanting Houston Street just because he was a closer. Mm-hmm. I think they're just looking for help you know good reliever yeah and they don't want to pay closer prices yeah so you know maybe they get Pavelbon only because they agree to take on the money um and therefore they don't really have to give up a prospect you know mm-hmm. um so yeah and, and maybe that's in part because you know they <clears throat> they find it harder to come to some sort of agreement to get one of these other guys you know, i know for instance like arizona has said that uh, i think for you know, arizona is kind of interested in keeping ziggler around so uh, for whatever reason not uh, not to say that that's a good or a bad move just uh, that they they seem to like him uh, and he has fit well for the uh, fit well fit them quite well um but um i think what really makes in the, this um most interesting, uh, I wanted to talk about this a little bit with you because especially now it's kind of after the fact and it may not really matter in fantasy leagues, but kind of hindsight analysis or how's, how do you see this playing out is uh, because Houston Street was traded just over the weekend and I mean, Joaquin Benoit, I mean, I looked up, I didn't look up ownership percentages, but like he was available in tout this past weekend, which I was a little surprised by. Um, and I'm sure that's not, not the only league. Uh I mean, he was probably available in a number of leagues, especially the shallower ones. But obviously, when instantly you become a closer, that changes your value immensely for fantasy owners. The problem, and, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland have also been rumored to be uh, interested in him. I, I, I think I find it hard to see uh, either of those two teams making a deal for him, giving up what it would take to get him. But um, who knows? I think that I mean, certainly it's it's possible, uh, depending on. Uh, how 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 hard they want to go after the playoff spot and, and deeper, but based on the fact that Benoit was is still considered a trade candidate, but has just become has come into saves. I mean, I paid I I kind of went all in 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 essence. I was a little I started out in the uh, in the in the twenties and then I went to the thirties and I was like, nah, the twenties is good. If somebody really wants to pay that much more, but you know, I went in and and because I'm I'm I have to be concerned about where I'm going to get saves from potentially in the next couple, couple of weeks from now. Uh, and I had Joe Smith. What do you view as like, I mean, what do you hedge your bets? I mean, Benoit is still a legitimate possibility to be traded. Uh, <laughs> but you're in a window here where, uh, I mean, in 10 days you could be paying a lot of fab money for a guy. Um, 
I mean, is, is there a certain way you would have approached that? Or uh, how do you see it shaking out, for instance? I mean, how likely do you think it is that Benoit is traded? How would you have approached the bid had you been interested? I don't know. I didn't even notice if you had bid. But, uh, I mean, my bid was victory down to $23. And, you know, I kind of viewed that as acceptable losses, all things considered. Uh, and certainly some other folks, maybe they just kind of hedge their bets as well. Uh, maybe that's why I got him. Uh, at that price, but I saw a number of bids in the single digits and a couple in you know low teens or whatever, but nothing that was like, hey, I think this guy's definitely going to be closer the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're going to. Um, I don't think they're going to sell him. They own him for another year, um, and they need a closer. And you know, I, you know, he keeps. Uh, he's he's a more steady option than than turning to their younger guys. So uh, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that they're going to sell everything that's not nailed down and it's it's kind of tricky for them to do it anyway because they don't really have a gm so mm-hmm. um i think that headley was in some ways easier and uh, in some ways benoit would be harder to sell just because he's under contract for next year and he's an obvious um closer whereas you know quackenbush is having a good year where he doesn't quite have the same track record so i don't i think uh i think they'll probably hold on to benoit but we'll see if i'm wrong later yeah, I mean that's ultimately I, I was I was a little more willing to say I'm going to go all out uh, because I'm like, well, you know, how likely am I to see another guy who seems to fit the bill this much? And I lean toward thinking that they're going to keep him versus that they're going to trade him. Obviously, obviously, if they're blown away, uh, it's a different story. But I can't help but think that the odds are in his favor to stay. But it's just it was an, it's one of those interesting quandaries that you don't get to face very often as a fantasy owner that like the next guy up is also a trade bait. And has just become uh, saves candidates and or, you know the primary guy, uh, and he's like a hot property for ten days, and then uh, that could kind of suck. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a shaky period for the fantasy community. Oh, it is. It's it's exhilarating, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a definitely it, it's going to be. I'm going to shoot myself because I'm uh, I'm moving. I've got a two year old and a pregnant wife, and we're moving. And uh, we need to be out of here by the 31st, which, oh, you know, that day is. So (laughs) it's going to be crazy, and uh, I'm going to have to be near my computer to uh, possibly type up fan graphs reactions or rotograph reactions, and so it's going to be crazy. But um, uh, crazy in a good way. And uh, I just wouldn't wouldn't trade for a reliever right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I might trade a reliever away, uh, but I wouldn't trade for a reliever. And um, I wouldn't uh, drop too much for a Quackenbush or a Giles or a or Morris. And I kind of, I kind of rank them uh, just because. Hmm, that's hard to rank those three. I think I would still rank them maybe Giles, Quackenbush, Morris. I think I might do it that way. Yeah. So moving to uh, some some position players and actually specifically some health related stuff. I think this is. And maybe I'm a little surprised, but Michael Kadair, uh, some some positive news for him. Uh, with the, he has the non-displaced fracture of the glenoid socket in his left shoulder, uh, and <clears throat> he had an MRI on that at the beginning of this week, and it actually revealed healing in it, which is what they needed to see in order for him to be begin kind of a rehab program. And Kadair now he could be back in mid-August. I think this is a player that we were kind of fifty-fifty on. He might be out rest of season. That was a that was definitely a possibility. Uh, I've seen him dropped in, in a 12-team mixed league 
so first of all, that's something to keep in mind uh, if he has been dropped in your league. But uh, if not, uh, even then, um, th- th- I think then the question becomes, uh, does this affect his performance at all coming back from this? Uh, I'm not real familiar with the injury. Uh, I mean, thinking of it uh, simply as a shoulder injury, we might say so. But um, this is just kind of a uh, it, it's kind of a strange injury. It seems to be more kind of uh, joint related and. I don't know. I think that that's. I think it's it's really hard to get a read on that. Do you have any thoughts on uh, how the how the health could look? And uh, I mean, this is also it's a player that Colorado wants to resign. I can't believe they want to resign Michael Kadira. That doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me. Uh, they got so many people that can do what he does. I don't. I mean, they played him once at third. I wonder if they consider him a backup all around the infield. He's played at second base before, but that doesn't make him a second baseman. So, um, <clears throat> unless. I mean, they signed Morneau for next year, too. And, um, yeah, it seems know, misguided for them to want him back, for sure, considering the outfield depth they've acquired. Yeah, Dickerson, Blackman. Dickerson, Blackman, and Cargo. I think maybe, hopefully, let's pretend like it's just a nice thing they say so, <laughs> so that their agent doesn't feel bad and their agent can maybe use their interest uh, against somebody else. Um, and... Um, and leave it at that because it doesn't make any sense. I would say I still remain uh, optimistic about Dickerson and Blackman's chances of playing every day uh, or near every day the rest of the way. Um, so uh, I it am- is interesting news, but I just figure someone will get hurt by that time. Morneau is already hurt right now. Uh, so I, I don't think that I see too too much risk uh, for the young guys. Yeah, I think, I think there's that. And also, um, I mean – I don't know how logical this really is or how likely this is, but maybe maybe if he's back by mid-August or is back in mid-August or even even toward the end of August, as long as he's back in time to show that he's at least healthy, uh, maybe he's a guy they can uh, they can run through waivers and see if they can work out a waivers trade. Maybe that's why they want to say, yeah, we might want to bring him back. I don't know how that would really affect things, but uh, just ultimately, I mean, I think that yeah, Kadir's not necessarily, I guess, a given. Uh, but, I mean, I, I would think that there's still, you know, Maybe some hope that he's somehow of use the rest of the season, but uh, I wouldn't be extremely confident in that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Uh, on the way out, we talked about <laughs> that uh, uh, Matt Cain <clears throat> is now on the disabled list. We talked about the fact that on Sunday, originally the news was that uh, his elbow was barking. The positive here is that an MRI revealed no ligament damage, uh, but uh, the negative, of course, is that the elbow hurts anyway. So, uh, this is a player who is really kind of disappointed, and he's, uh, as far as the pitch-like peripherals were concerned, Kate Kane was actually not bad, you know, had concluded uh, not too long ago. But now how not bad is he, given also that there's an injury? Oh, you're kind of kitchen sinky for, for a guy that, you know, no one would have thought was, uh, might describe as kitchen sinky. But I guess you can, you can watch him, you can say, he is, you know, four good pitches, but there's no pitch that's like, whoa, you know, Matt Kane's... <laughs> Fill in the blank is top, you know, ten or whatever. You know, I, I don't think I'd have a single pitch of but, his that I would say that about. He's a top ten butt, I think. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, the the homeritis has been interesting, um, and it's hard, you know, after years of suppressing homers uh, to to then finally have two years where he was worse than the league average in home runs per fly ball rate, and to have everything else kind of look almost the same is just just kind of weird and mind-boggling. But, uh, 
I think the upshot of it is for me that he was probably closer to a, a mid threes, high threes ERA guy, um, even when he was being really great. And that uh, now he's just getting a little bit of luck on the other side of the ledger, uh, missing a couple of, of, of um, poorly placed balls here and there, and you know, still kind of like a true talent, three seven, three eight um, ERA guy. Um, you know, that's uh, in the these days, that's a lot more droppable than it has been in the past. So, uh, that's that is an excellent point. Is that it's a lot more droppable? Thank goodness I have an unlimited DL space, so I can keep I can keep a fringy guy around on my. 15-team mixed league roster. It is actually better than, you know, continually trying to decide if you should drop them. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely true. And as you mentioned, also injured is Justin Morneau out with a next strain. He was placed on the disabled list, and uh, the Rockies have caught up in his place on the roster. A fellow named Ben Paulson uh, in your Fangrass ledger. His name is Benjamin Paulson, P-A-L-P-A-U-L-S-E-N. Uh, and kind of mid mid to upper teens power. He's 26 years old already, so I mean it doesn't sound like this is a call up uh, that the Rockies are going to give significant amount of playing time to uh, in his place. But maybe that he's a <clears throat> he is a left-handed hitter, and so maybe he does uh, work out on the on the right side uh, on the correct side or on the good side of a platoon uh, first base uh, in the interim. Uh, but uh, pro- I mean, I don't see. I have yet to see any reason to think that this guy is maybe kind of a, a last-ditch flyer in an NL-only league. Yeah, I'm not too interested. I I do think it's it's too bad that uh, Morneau, uh, you know, succumbed to a new injury. Um, you know, it's just been something he's dealt with his whole career, and it's not going to change at 33. But you know, as far as like his his work on the field, and I hope I didn't, I don't get, uh, you know, get. Um, uh, I hope that talking to him about what he did hasn't convinced me that it's real. But um, in terms of what I saw after talking to him and doing an interview with him, it, it does really look like he's covering more of the plate. He's going the other way more, and that that's going to give him more Babbitt, especially in Colorado. He's going to put the ball in play more. One of the best uh, contact rates of his career, one of the best strikeout rates of his career, the best strikeout rate of his career. Um, and I think that uh, he's forcing pitchers to kind of Sometimes come inside because now he's covering the the outside of the plate, um, and he was uh, he was settling into sort of twenty home run power anyway. So I don't think that um, he necessarily gave up too much power with this approach. Um, so uh, I uh, I I would hold on to Morneau if you could if you've got the DL spaces I would, I would hold on to him. Yeah, for sure. And the the injury, like you said, it's it's slightly, it's slightly disappointing that he's run into something. Uh, he has had back problems before too. Hopefully, I mean, you know, next strain probably completely unrelated to anything like that. But uh, that's just disappointing uh, because he's hopefully he's uh, kind of, this is kind of a, a a thing that just doesn't linger too much. But uh, and I think also for NL only players at least, uh, perhaps a little bit disappointing that the trade off this time is is not for Kyle Parker, as instead this Paulson fellow and Par- Parker hardly really got a chance uh, in his previous uh, couple of call-ups with nine total player plate appearances but he did strike out in five of them so uh, maybe that was just <laughs> uh, I mean he does have uh, considerably more power as a couple uh, well a little bit more power as a couple of years younger uh, and just kind of is probably more of a prospecty type player so um, maybe by September that he matters a little, a little bit again but or at least as far as the playing time possibility but uh uh, in the meantime, it's a little bit disappointing. And also disappointing will probably be how uh, I 
venture in pronouncing what Joel Peralta has now that he's on the disabled list, which is the, the Chikimunga virus. Uh, I think it's the Chunky Monkey virus. Chunky Monkey. Yeah, Chiggy Monkey. Actually, here, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. Here we go. Chikungunya. No. Chikungunya. That's my best. That's my best offer right there. I got it. I think that's it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or you is, got it, I should say. It is similar to dengue fever, and uh, it is an anthropod-borne virus of the genus alphavirus that is transmitted to humans by virus-carrying mosquitoes. Yes, and Peralta so. believes that he contracted this uh, while on break in the Caribbean islands. Uh, and hey. now he's kind of taking himself out of the closure committee for the short term for the raise. So that sucks. But at least that's good for Jake McGee and Brad Boxberger owners, I would think. <clears throat> and uh, either way, Grant Balfour still sucks, no matter how much he thinks he's tipping his pitches. Wait, someone thinks he's tipping his pitches? He thinks he's tipping his pitches. Yes, that oh. was that was uh, something that uh, that was something that he told uh, local media over the weekend, uh, but then proceeded to go out and uh, give up like a handful of base runners or something ridiculous, and had to be relieved in the eighth inning. Uh, anyway, and this was after that he thought he was giving him away. And, uh, n- I mean, nobody else on the staff seemed to back it up. Not that that's necessarily uh, – it's a necess- necessity to believe They're it. like, but, yeah, uh, whatever he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, anyway, uh, so get well soon, Joel Peralta. This is not a, a life-threatening disease uh, in my understanding. So uh, don't think he'll be out for too long. So, so we can we can laugh about pronunciations without without laughing about uh, someone's health. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, we look for yes. So we look forward also to your activation and look and so we can pr- pronounce that again. Uh, other some bull, uh, one significant or interesting at least bullpen change is that uh, Toronto has given up on the Sergio Santos project, uh, which is kind of a, I think it's it's an interesting move. Um, Obviously, they they I mean, he's got an ERA in the sevens or something this year. Obviously, that sucks. But uh, and they've called up Aaron Sanchez, who they not too long ago, just within the last couple of, of weeks, moved to a bullpen role at the AAA level to begin with. Uh, so clearly, this is a guy they they would like to see help contribute to their playoff attempt and stretch run, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not bad timing for it. We kind of had a little bit of requested interest at times in him as a player who uh, want to know, is this is this the guy who's kind of worth the hype? I mean, he's kind of been considered Tamp- uh, Toronto's top prospect um, for the last year or so, I guess. And uh, is a, a 2010 uh, first-round pick. He was a number 34 overall pick because he was a compensation pick. Uh, and the control has always scared me. I think it's – it's I guess it's one of those things where maybe it's a little more – I mean, it's it's probably heavily velocity-related um, – there's a lot of raw talent here, but um, not necessarily always coming out in the results. But uh, it's, it's kind of been considered the guy. I mean, he's, he's you know, I would assume his bus rate has got to be greater than Marcus Stroman's, even though maybe his ceiling isn't considered a little higher. Uh, but long term, he's there. He's expected to be tries as a starting pitcher. Sanchez, what do you what do you uh, what are your thoughts on him? You know, I saw him in the AFL um I think the All-Star game and maybe another game. Yes. And um, I actually saw Stroman at the same time, and I just – I was way more into Stroman. I don't know why. I think, um, 
You know, I think he's... Uh, Strowman has a very got, a, a smoother delivery. I think it just is, looks more appealing to me. Yeah, it looks more appealing. And also, uh, Sanchez was... Uh, it might have been the fact that it was the All-Star game. Um, AFL is not really the place that they work on things so much as they um, try to impress people. <laughs> uh, so I only saw a fastball and a curveball. And, and though, you know, that's better than a fastball-slider combo in terms of platoon splits and, and uh, the ability to kind of keep going with that and be a starting pitcher with that. Um, I didn't really see a great changeup. And from the eyes, I thought uh, Marcus Stroman's changeup um, was good enough, and he has a curveball slider and a cutter. So I just felt like Stroman had more pitches. Um, and, uh, you know, the velocity did favor Sanchez, but it wasn't by so much that I thought, you know, I was looking at Michael Fires when I was looking at Marcus Stroman or anything. So, um you know, you also don't know in the context of, you know, there's got to be some interest by the Jays on um, in a guy like Cliff Lee um, or, um, uh, I mean, I'd say David Price, even though that might be improbable. Uh, they want they probably want to add a frontline pitcher. I think what an Aaron Sanchez call-up might be is, well, let's stick him in there. If he lights on fire... Um, and he's the guy who, who pushes us to the postseason, and we keep him, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, Or we have sort of an internal – we have an internal uh, decision that we've made about him, and either way it's going to look good if we promote him. And, uh, you know, maybe we're talking to somebody who thinks that Sanchez needs more work in the minor leagues, and we can say, hey, you know, we don't think so. We just called him up the big leagues. So <laughs> um, there's there could be a lot more going on here than uh, is obvious, and – um, you know, I, I just prefer Stroman. I think I'd be cautious with Sanchez and I don't think he's necessarily a pickup right away. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even be, you know, eager to pick, I mean, you know, in a dynasty league where it's like, Hey, as, as soon as they're exposed, it's, that's what, that's your first opportunity to pick him up. Sure. Bring him aboard. I mean, he might be, he might be, uh, the closer in three or four years or something because I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to, to see, what I've seen, especially from the numbers, and I got to see him also in the AFL in that uh, in the, the Rising Stars game. It, it, that's not the place to evaluate, but just overall, it, I mean, everything I've seen, I, I don't say, yeah, this guy is definitely going to succeed as a starting pitcher. Um, so I, I would, that's somebody I would like. Uh, hope it works out because the the stuff is is probably pretty electric, but uh, I'm not real optimistic. Uh, we we uh, some some interesting notes just on the rotation quickly. Uh, Garrett Richards, no plans to shut him down or limit his his workload this year, according to the Angels. Uh, this doesn't this doesn't concern me. Uh, does it concern you? Uh, I mean, it's obviously it's a breakthrough season for Richards. Uh, any any reason to worry about uh, fatigue or him hitting a wall or anything? Velocity is a decent part of what he does. So, you know, I guess I would watch his velocity a little bit. Um, I think it's been fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, as an aside, I can never remember how many R's and T's he's got. But that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> two and two. The, uh, two and two. Uh, the velocity is actually up uh, recently. He's all the way up to averaging 97 in, uh, in this month. Um, well, let's... And last. Tell him to settle down. Let's not overdo it. Then we got a little. We got a couple of months left. <laughs> I'm crazy, man. But um, I do think I did notice something about his usage. Let me check real quick. Uh, yeah, his fastball usage is down a little bit. 
um, and his slider usage is up. His slider actually, uh, he's been using it close to thirty, uh, close to forty percent, uh, thirty-seven, thirty-three, twenty-eight. That's the last three months. So he's up from twenty-eight to thirty-seven over the last three months uh, in terms of slider usage. So he's uh, he's changing things up a little, man. He's he's almost slider first. Like in the last month, he's actually thrown uh, uh, more more sliders than uh, four seamers. Hmm. So that's that's uh, incredible. So he's he's pitching backwards a little bit, I guess, um, which is crazy because he's got a 97 mile an hour fastball. But uh, you know, he's a breakout, and you always gotta you always gotta worry a little bit with breakouts. So yeah, that is true. That is true. I guess I should. I mean, I think overall, I wouldn't be in a in a in a rush to get rid of him. But I guess I. He, I guess it can't hurt if, if somebody's willing to deal at this point. It has to look for real to somebody, and if they give you something pretty good for him, um, I guess it would be pretty hard to turn it down. But at the same time, yeah, I mean this this is the this is the these are the numbers that we always thought were coming. I mean, these are the numbers that are commensurate with his stuff and 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 link up with uh, most of what he did in the minor leagues. But, yes. Um, you know, he first when he first got to Double A, he struck out six and a half for nine. Then he went to Triple A and he struck out seven and a half for nine. So, um, you know, he he's it's been a long time coming, and uh, I believe, but um, yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I own him in a twenty team dynasty, and I'm sure if I made him available, everyone would come running. But uh, you know, when you finally get a young pitcher like that that looks to be good, and you know he's twenty six and looks healthy, you're kind of like, oh God, can this guy just survive for me just this one guy please. <laughs> no and in that case it's probably time to treat him if everybody's going to come running <laughs> yeah. maybe time to flip him yeah. another interesting thing is we, talk, uh, we talked about uh, Taiwan Walker looked at first it looked like he was probably up for good for Seattle then he had a couple of really bad starts uh, then they demoted him it looked like it might be only through the break then Seattle came out and said we want to give him a few couple of couple of few starts uh, and the minors and having to work out some things. Now the rumor is that he, uh, I mean, now that uh, uh, Toronto, or I'm sorry, Seattle has moved uh, both King Felix Hernandez and Hisashi Iwakuma back a day. And it's not a bad thing for those fellas, but that Taiwan, Taiwan Walker is a, uh, that's actually the day he's scheduled to go for AAA Tacoma. And now it looks like it's a possibility that he will fill in uh, on Wednesday. Now it could be just a spot outing, chance to get him up again, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, um, does this uh, does this does this make you see anything beyond that, or is it just an opportunity to give those two uh, stud slash workhorses a break? I have no idea. I mean, I think they need uh, an infusion, and I, from what I've heard, uh, talking to the uh, beat writers the last time I was in that clubhouse, um, I heard that uh, they're more in on David Price than maybe the, the rumors or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, if they want price, they're gonna have to give up Walker Franklin plus. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know what the plus is. So, does this? I mean, if you if you look at this as a possibility where they're just doing this to showcase, I mean, I think that that's also a good possibility. Do you? I mean, is it better to showcase in the minors where he might have better results, or in the majors where you say, "Hey, he's in the majors. We think he's good enough to be there." I'm I'm curious. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I think 
in the end, to me, it's like, well, Taiwan Walker's Taiwan Walker, and it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Uh, he's he there's a yeah he, uh, he has the talent to be pretty good down the road, but it may matter to someone. People have their you know most most front offices are probably pretty wide eyed and op- I mean open eyed about this in terms of they have their evaluation. It's not going to change that much based on what happens. So. And, and I think even a bad start wouldn't change much. Maybe they, maybe there is um, a little bit of something, you know, in terms of the semantics of the arguments they can they might be having on email or on phone. You know, uh, he is a major league. You know, we think he's a major league. Well, you think he's a major league. We think he needs more work. Well, he is a major league. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Uh, well, no, I mean, I'm saying literally he's yeah. a major leaguer. We just called him up. Yeah. <laughs> Check the transactions pages, uh, fellas. Yeah, right. Hey, Andrew Friedman, <laughs> you're not paying attention. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, for whatever it is. I mean, I, I mean, I imagine if Walker is still if he's still a Mariner after July 31st, he's probably also a Tacoma Rainier after July 31st. Uh, but maybe not for long. Just uh Kind of a yeah. I mean, this is a team. This is a team that wants to to uh, make the postseason badly. So yeah, they, they might actually the person that might get most affected. The, the the team that might get most affected by what happens in this next start is, is probably the Mariners, because they're going to watch this next start and they're going to say, you know, can he help us right now? Um, that's a little bit more important to them than what he'll do um, going forward. I think so. That is true. That is true. Um, some just. Just some quick notes we want to go over before we get into just a couple of requested items. Uh, but Jason Kipnis says his oblique is still an issue a bit, I guess maybe from a nagging perspective, um, and thinks it will probably linger for the rest of the season. Does this concern you that the power is unlikely to rebound quite might like we hoped it would? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Obliques are pretty important for power. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's weird is that they're pretty important for stealing bases too, and he's just started stealing bases, so... Uh, I wonder if he just said it because if you know he felt sore that day, um, but yeah, I mean we have heard this about Bleaks in the past. David Wright, and he hit it. some I, of his worst. He, he, I think he had a two yeah. home run game, and it's like his first game out of the break too. It was like he popped two, and I was like, all right, maybe that's a good, a good omen. But uh, and then he, makes <laughs> then he says uh, this. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think some of the worst years that David Wright has had have been sort of plagued by uh, obliques. Um, but, uh, I, I bet on, I bet on him long-term. I, I'm happy to acquire him from anybody in a, in a keeper league. Um, when you're talking about what's going to happen over the next two and a half, three months, you know, maybe this oblique is going to be a big deal. I'm, I, I still think he'll, uh, he'll have a decent year. Yes. Yeah. And in, in the end, I think the numbers are still going to look decent. He's not going to be the top fantasy second baseman, but he's still a pretty good fantasy second baseman. And if anything, it's, you know, I mean, he's he's kind of in the window of peak time, so it's not like it's going to get any better. But relatively speaking, maybe kind of a bit of a buy year for Kipnis, at least heading into next season, if it turns out not to be such a great finish. Uh, <clears throat> also, another news of note, uh, the Giants signed Dan Ugla to a minor league contract. And really, it's not really of note. I mean, this guy probably still sucks. And the Giants are just desperate to do something um at second base that uh, that isn't Marco Scudero, probably, and that isn't uh, Joe Panic, which they don't seem to be thoroughly impressed by. Well, Panic, um, you know, his best skill is putting the ball in play, and right now it's not a good ball, uh, Babip, so 
he's not being held by luck in any case. Um, he, he, I don't know. They did choose Panic over Brandon Hicks at some point um, when Scudero came back. Um, and I do think, um, you know, that between Panic and Scudero, they could, you know, have a, you know, I don't know, a one-win a one-win uh, second baseman, maybe. I don't think Ugla really helps the situation. And, you know, the funny, in terms of from Fancy's perspective, Ugla's batting average on balls and play has been terrible for the last two years, uh, around 220. And uh, I don't think that going to San Francisco is going to fix that. So No. <laughs> I think uh, I'm not buying. And it's also a minor league deal, so it's not, uh, it's not necessarily an indication that Ugla's going to take out of their jobs. Right. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem, and you know, and again, San Fran is a player in the trade market uh, for a second baseman, so uh, yeah, we can't entirely rule that out. Um, anyway, I think uh, again, we want to get to a couple of requested topics. Uh, first of all, just bring up real quickly Justin Verlander. We talked about on a couple of occasions, and we saw some positive signs perhaps a month ago, but the commenters noticed recently that there's been what he's observed as a change of arm angle. Wanted to get into that real quickly because I've also noticed uh, by looking that up too that um, uh, by when I, when I went to look uh, some information up on this, also noticed I don't know if this is uh, the cause of it uh, or it's just um, uh, kind of a coincidence, but uh, forcing velocity is actually down to its lowest point as a result of averaging in in July uh, under 93 miles an hour, and that's uh, I mean we know that velocity was down in uh, in April. Uh, just a little bit, but is, and it was kind of on the rebound. And now I think, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of this potential change in arm angle. I was looking at some things, and it, it doesn't see. I mean, Verlander's pattern over his career is that that seems to change fairly often. That he is a guy who kind of a, continually is adjusting his arm angle. So I don't know that that's entirely uh, a bad sign. But uh, I am concerned as a res- um, coincidentally because I noticed the velocity dip. Um, I mean, I, I think this is discouraging after a month ago, uh, we talked about some reasons that I, uh, I could have been encouraged. Now, what do you think? You know, it, that's usually, you know, traditionally, it's, uh, considered a bad thing, um, the, to, to drop your angle, right. you know, and I think in terms of the way your arm works, uh, from what I understand, um, it's seen often as a an attempt to avoid pain. So why would you change your arm ankle uh, if everything was going well? Um, and uh, you know, so that could mean he's feeling some pain and he uh, doesn't feel good in that one slot, and so he's changed it. Especially when you see the velocity go down, um, you, that doesn't. You know, you're like, okay, why would you change your arm angle? Especially if the velocity went down because of it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I'm running him through right now through the uh, baseball heat maps um, as an injury factor thing, and it uses uh, velocity per game, uh, late game inconsistency, which is changes in release point uh, late in the game, and then zone percentage um, to uh, to approximate. Um, uh, to, to, to actually try and predict in-season injuries. It's something that Josh Kalk um, set up in uh, before he went off to the Rays. And actually, um, from what I can see, there's a problem. 
uh, I've actually pretty rarely, pretty rare for me uh, to see um, a very obvious problem uh, where all of the, the things lined up. So, in terms of its velocity, um, it's uh, down to its lowest point of the year, like just as you pointed out. Um, and uh, even the five-game average is at the lowest point of the year. Um, in terms of late game inconsistencies. Uh, since late June, he's had his three highest scores uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, differences in his arm slot late in the game. Um, and his strike zone percentage, um, at least in the last couple of starts, is well below his average. Um, in fact, in his last one, it dropped to about 35%. So, uh, and then he, he has a, um, a new thing he's added, which is the total variance is um, on the release point, um, and uh, that's at its worst number too. So um, he's definitely uh, he's definitely something's going on. I, I would say, um, and he started the year injured. So I mean, he came off a of, he came off of a surgery. So I mean, some of the stuff could just be dealing with pain. You know things like that don't really just fix themselves. And so he had surgery on his core, you know, maybe something is bugging him in there again. And he's, uh, and he's altered, uh, you know, his slot to deal with it. But there's, I, there's no real stat for me anymore. There was a little bit of a velocity bump at one point, but there's no real stat for me anymore that I can say, Oh, this one looks good for Verlander. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's it. Ultimately, and I think a very astute observation from a listener to ask us about this. And in fact, we very much appreciate that to bring this topic up because I think this is, I mean, this is, I think this is panic time for Verlander owners. If you were hoping for some turnaround, I think it's time to start thinking about uh, in a lonely lease is Drew Verhagen or is Robbie Ray available? And, uh, you know, maybe these, because I mean, Detroit's going to need somebody to fill in some innings here uh, before they get to the postseason. I don't see them as a real player. I mean, they're not going to become a player for a, a, an arm uh, to acquire at the deadline or anything like that. But I would be, I would be concerned. And uh, uh, unless I, uh, unless, I, unless I saw something significantly different uh, in the very short term. Another topic I wanted to, uh, we've been asked to take a quick look at uh, at Adam Wainwright and uh, that is velocity and zone percentage. Uh, you know, are are we seeing some forecasts of, of health as uh, concerns as well uh, with him specifically with those two statistics? Um, and um, I mean, he's never had great fastball velocity. That's always kind of not been his thing, other than I guess if he's pitched in relief, but. Um, I don't. I don't notice anything off the top of my. Uh, you know, that when I took an examination of the numbers, uh, I mean, he, uh, and chase rates for him are pretty good, swing strike, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and he's. I mean, in general, declining in the zone has been kind of with him ever since he's come back from Tommy John surgery. I don't know what that says about it, but uh, I mean, he's he's been pretty consistent for the, the three years since. Uh, but do you notice anything else? I mean, I, I'm not concerned about a Wayne Wright uh, based on what I've seen. There's some. Uh, this one doesn't line up as cleanly. Uh, recently, his velocity's been up a little bit, actually. Uh, at least if he uses cutter, um, which he uses the most out of any of his fastballs. So his cutter velocity is up to 87 recently. Um, the five-game averages and the average velocity per game um, are near the highest they've been, um, you know, over this year. 
Um, in terms of late game inconsistency, he had some problems early in the year. Uh, some actually some crazy um, outings that were went up and down, but he's really calmed down recently. His strike zone percentage um, is at a season low. Um, you know, it's been hovering around 44, 45 percent uh, for the last month, and um, you know his average for the year um, is you know 47, 48 percent. So he's down a little bit there, but um, you know his release point variance has uh, calmed down. He seems to be better off. You know, maybe there was something going on early in the season. I'm not, I'm not too worried. I, you know. He's still, I think, is he still in the honeymoon period? There's a, about a four or 500 um, uh, inning honeymoon period between Tommy John surgeries. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that he's just now coming out of it. No. Or no, wait, no, he's about 100 innings, or well, about 80 innings yeah. out of it, actually. Yeah, he's on the other side of that. Um, I mean, if he's going to have two Tommy John surgeries, it could come this year. I mean that's that's what that's that's literally what Jeff Zimmerman's finding was was that uh, e- even if you're going to have two hundred to- uh, two Tommy John surgeries, it usually you usually have four or five hundred innings in between. Um, so uh, that was way more ominous, ominous than I wanted to be. In general, <laughs> I'm not worried about Adam Wainwright. Tommy John could be around the corner for anybody. Um, I would not try and sell him. It's kind of hard to you know sell a guy high who has a career ERA under three. Um, so hold on and hope everything stays in one piece. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm tending to lean that way. I mean, I think that he's pretty good. Uh, well, relatively speaking, a decent bet to finish the season in okay shape. Uh, of course, that I mean it's a pitcher, so nothing is it, it's far from guaranteed. As far as Dallas Keuchel is concerned, we've talked about him on a number of occasions, especially recently, because he hits a, he hit a rough patch, uh, had a ha- <clears throat> handful of bad starts, and we talked about uh, uh, how his uh, a, a wrist injury has kind of affected him, and they were not uh, inclined to put him on the disabled list at the time and kind of let him work through it. Um, uh, but uh, seems to have resulted, or they uh, kind of coincided with a, a drop in the usage of his changeup. Um, and then um, <clears throat> in his last start, uh, it went <clears throat> uh, it went back up to kind of what the previous level has been, and uh, he's using the, the the cut fastball as well a little more often. Is, is this something that you would attribute to being health related uh, with the wrist? And, and then also, um, I think that it's. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I just want to see a sign or hear hear that he's healthy before I can really be confident that uh, he's ready to kind of get back on the path that he was uh, early in the season. I think it's a decent sign, actually. Um, you know, all the success he had early in the season, he threw the sinker around 40% of the time. And then he got hurt, and that 40% jumped to 60% uh, for three games, and they were kind of crappy games. Uh, and they were right after he was hurt. Uh, then he gets some time off uh, for the uh, All-Star break. Uh, and he comes back and he throws the uh, sinker 33% of the time, 34% of the time. Um, so uh, that's right back in his old wheelhouse, uh, way more normal looking. Uh, the changeup, you know, was gone for four games. It was down to, you know, uh, six or seven a game. 
and uh, he threw 16 in the last game. So I feel better about him. I think that uh, he needed that break, and they probably could have given him a start off, you know, heading into the break, but um, for whatever, whatever reason they didn't. And um, I uh, I feel good about him. I just, uh, you know, I'm surprised that he hasn't been able to strike more batters out given his swing strike rate, but... Um, you know, if you can, if you're asking me if I can think he can do a three-four, um, you know, ERA with a good whip and a and you know the six, six and a half, uh, seven strikeouts per nine that he's been doing, um, you know, without looking, that's I, I would say he can uh, he can get back to that. Yeah, and I think uh, you may think because the results didn't look great uh, in that start, uh, it was against the White Sox on Saturday, and uh, even though. The usage kind of was more of what you were hoping to see and then see the results come with it. Uh, I mean, he did give up. I mean, there could be – I mean, it may not even look that way. It may even be a kind of a sign to say, hey, it's maybe it's not a bad time to send a feeler out to see what you could, might be able to trade uh, for uh, for Keuchel. But, uh, I mean, he gave up 12 hits. I mean, that could just totally be uh, some bad luck there. Um, one of the runs was unearned. Uh, I don't think he got a great deal of help from the defense, but he did strike out five in five innings. Um and so in general, I mean, he, you know, considering that he struck out five and only walked two and is in a game that he probably had to labor a little bit more than he would have expected or hoped. Uh, I mean, the usage, I think, is a good sign, especially with the changeup um, and, and, and the sinker. So, yeah, I think I mean, overall, overall, I don't know what to make of the cutter, but uh, I think overall I'd have to be pretty encouraged by that. And uh, uh, last guy I want to talk about here, a uh, requested topic, is can we discuss Chris Coughlin, uh, who I think, you know, probably about a month, month and a half ago, had a 200 batting average and then had the month of his life uh, just to get back up to about what he probably should have been doing to begin with, which is in the neighborhood of 270 to 280. Well, maybe a little lower than that, but the, he's also hit for some power. He hit like five home, four or five home runs in the span of that month as well. And that's not really Coughlin's game. So uh, I guess basically the question is, is this is this guy legit? I mean, this, this is a player I considered picking up and mixed out a couple of times because I thought, what if, you know, he sees some significant positive regression in the BABIP and the Cubs continue to give him playing time? But then what if it's like, well, it's probably still going to get some empty batting average. Then he hits a handful of home runs and he's got a little bit of speed, so they let him run occasionally. Uh, but, I mean, is this the kind of thing? I, I mean, I, I see no reason to think that this, this kind of thing is going to continue, although the playing time might stick around depending on what the Cubs do around the trade deadline. Yeah, he's, he's, he's interesting. I mean, for, you know, he's had such, so many like sort of short sample years. I mean, the most he's ever done is that uh, rookie year where he won rookie of the year, you know, five fifty five plate appearances. And, and since his uh, seasonal high is 400, but it's gone 400, 300, 100, 200, 200. So, um, you know, He's been given some chances here or there, but if you look at the sum of his career, he has a, an average uh, walk rate for the major leagues, just better than average strikeout rate for the major leagues, just worse than average isolated power from the major leagues, um, and uh, has been uh, slightly worthwhile on the on the on the base path. So, um, not surprising that uh, that doesn't add up well when you when you do it by wins above replacement. Um, he's got a one and a half wins over uh, what you would consider to be three seasons. Um, so you know, a half win player. I don't think a half win player is the kind of player that uh, you know pushes his way onto the big league roster. Um, 
but maybe in a short in a short stint for uh, as a stopgap guy, rest of the season. Uh, maybe they think they can foment some interest in him. Um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they think he can be an interesting backup later down the line. But as this is going on, they're also talking about moving Kyle Schwarber uh, to left field in order to get his bat to the major leagues within the next couple of years, um, as opposed to waiting on him as a catcher. So, um, you know, I think they're thinking about other things uh, in the outfield um, pretty soon. And uh, they're just playing him right now because, hey, it's working right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think the power is an aberration. In the end, Chris Coughlin is not. I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of okay. He's not bad in OBP leagues. Kind of like uh, Tommy Lastella is in the sense that he can hit for a little average and take a walk. Uh, but other than that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Ex- I would expect just uh, for rest of season, maybe some empty batting average or some empty OBP for the most part. And I think that's going to do it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. This has been episode number 145. Eno, fantastic to have you on, as always, of course. And uh, fantastic not to have encountered, at least in my experience, any um, robotic noises. Yeah, I hope that one sounded good. (laughs) Yeah, I think it sounded fantastic, if I do say so for you and I. So uh, I think it's... uh, really fun show uh, some fantastic stuff to talk about we have some other requested topics that we want to get to uh, in just a little while in just a little while perhaps in our next episode depending on what happens in the news and we appreciate everybody sticking with us and we look forward to the next one thank you all very much and this has been the sleeper and the bust Boom.